Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's a happy Tuesday to each and every one of you out there. And let's just take a moment and better ourselves. Let's reflect and let's become aware with the words of wisdom from the great philosopher George Carlin. Just because you got the monkey off your back doesn't mean the circus has left town. Now, I know that means something to many of you out there, and just remember, while the circus is in town, try to enjoy it while you can, but eventually, the circus does leave town. All right, folks, now let's get this party started on a Tuesday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. To the Crude Life Morning Show, play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling, back on from assignment. We're here to talk a little bit about our football picks. Our, by the way, I don't even have our football picks in front. I know that I lost both my picks. Okay, so it was Terry Edom who got him right. I think he did. The Canadian, <laughs> the guy that didn't really care, the guy who didn't really <laughs> want to participate. Like, if you just, you know, if you just have to pick somebody. Folks, this is Jason Spies and Sterling. We are the work, play hard, work hard morning show here at the Crude Life. And what we're talking about is a day after, I guess, you know, everyone's talking about the Super Bowl. Well, we have a squares, the Super Bowl squares, you know, the, the hundred squares you get. Well, we've got one of those circulating around social media and we're adding logos every day to it. And once we fill up the hundred logos, then we're going to pull the numbers. And then, of course, we'll have the Super Bowl numbers from there. And then we've got some prizes lined up and mm-hmm. the whole deal. So you're familiar with those Super Bowl squares. You oh, lived in yeah. Reno, Nevada. Yeah, I've been on fantasy leagues and done plenty of betting at the books. So, yeah. Did you go, by the way, did you go from Saudi Arabia, uh, <laughs> da- Daharan to Reno? <laughs> no. No, there was a couple of stops in between. But okay, because that's... Yeah, I've generally lived in deserts most of my life. That's why I live up here now. Oh, I was just thinking more of the uh, uh, society morality extreme. Right. yeah. From you know. no drinking, no uncovered women to a state where prostitution's legal and gambling's legal. That's, yeah, I'm getting yeah. at, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the, you know, that city that's on the Utah-Nevada border. Right. One, one's got a bunch of churches and the other one's got a bunch of casinos. Same town, oh, but yeah. happens to, you know, I forget the name of that town, but... It's very it? liberating to live in a place like Nevada. Oh, boy. I tell you, so did you watch the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl? You mean the play- the championships Playoffs. games? Championships. Boy, <laughs> I, I'm ahead of myself Yes, here. I went to the future, and I'm now back to tell you about the Super Bowl. He's a good guy to have around for gambling, folks. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, bits of both games. Uh, actually, to, to tell you the truth, both of them were... were not that exciting. I, mean, I disagree. Really. I think the first one was pretty exciting. Tom you liked, Brady. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's if you're a Tom Brady fan, then yeah. For some of us that have been watching Tom Brady since 1999 or so, it's just I, we're kind of ready to, for him to be done. But hey, the guy's 43 years old. He's going to his 10th Super Bowl. Uh, he's taken another team on his shoulders. I mean, you, you can't say enough about his accomplishments. Whether or not I like him as a player or the teams he's been on. He's got to be the best quarterback that's ever played. Well, Tom Shady, I mean, Brady, <laughs> is by no doubt cementing his G-O-A-T yeah. status, greatest of all time, by what he did. I mean, honestly, most people wrote the Tampa Bay Buccaneers off, yeah. and he doesn't even have to win the Super Bowl now. 
just getting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers there as really the only kind of name on the team. Is were, were there a lot of changes with the Bucks this year? I mean, other than bringing in Brady and Gronk. I know, oh, okay, they brought Antonio Brown in. He didn't really do much, but though. he did. But I'm just he, wondering. He played like, three, four games. The Bucks they weren't a stellar team last year. Defensively, obviously, they they were pretty good. But it's you know you see how much of a difference stability and efficiency at the quarterback. I mean, it just sort of settles all the other positions and allows the game to work. You look at the defense of the Bucks over the last couple of games, and they've just been playing hungry and loose. What I get is just that it's the game management that Brady brings because it, it certainly seems to help a coach coach mm-hmm. when your quarterback can be the game manager on the field yeah. that you're trying to coach. Yeah, And if you have a quarterback that cannot – articulate on the field your message you're trying to coach well then you're constantly you know trying to put bubble gum in the dam <laughs> yeah i mean with uh and i think with um with brady and what is it aaron's is Aaron's, yeah, yeah. Yep. He, they were talking you know how he pretty much lets brady go out and run the game you know with with the plays that they've talked about but i mean would you who would you trust more on a two-minute drill you know brady he's gonna call it that that first uh third down touchdown they had the other day yesterday I think it was when they they first went up I mean it was just classic Brady drop back third down just drops a dime just right in the guy's pocket and here's why he's one of the greats because he didn't he have three interceptions yeah he did and and no one will remember that (laughs) nope and that's why I thought it was a good game because there's like three four minutes left throws an interception and I'm going oh well the NFL's got to love this I mean here here it is two of the Greatest quarterbacks of the modern era facing down. You got two, three minutes left, which is a half hour in football time. Yeah, exactly. In, in television football time. So, I mean, it's you like got... dog years. Oh, man, more billing going out to Bud Light, folks. Yep. You know, I mean, this, the NFL loves that stuff. So, I thought it was just amazing. And, and the storyline for Brady is done. I, it, it doesn't even matter if he wins because if he, if he wins, eh, Brady's the best. I guess we already knew that. But if he loses, well, he just passed the torch off to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, I, we had, we talked about this last time, whether or not Brady sticks around, whether he wins or loses, you know. And I'm guessing if he wins, there, well, why would you stay? You know, I mean, what, what would you possibly have left to prove unless you just want to play the game? Hey, you know. Why Brady's not? different, though. Brady, I think, I think what it's going to take for Tom Brady is some self-awareness to being – what I mean is, is that Brady is going to have to be the one to say, okay, I'm actually – not as fast as I used to be. I'm actually, I don't throw it as well as I used to. You know, the way they say Drew Brees dropped yeah. off and yeah. the way, you know, most quarterbacks after they hit 40, they do. They just drop off. I know for me as a human being, yeah. when I hit around that 40, I, I remember distinctly the moment it happened. I, I Oh, man, I was 41 years old. it was your birthday. No, I was oh, okay. 41 years old, and I was back in the day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of snow up here in Dakota. Mm-hmm. And I was walking from the car to the house, okay? And it was one of those days where it was slippery out, and I slipped on the ice. And I was it was one of those straight out of the comic prop cartoon movies where Just you're in the air. legs in the air, ass on the ground, yep. the whole deal, right? Yep. I then, you know, then put my hand down. 
by the time I put my hand down to react, okay, mm-hmm. when my foot slipped <laughs> and the impulse from my foot slipping to the cortex vertebrae <laughs> d- d- synax, synapsis up in my brain, I just right. threw in a whole it, bunch of nonsense it, it, it words. It sounded good, though. Hey, didn't it? No, <laughs> it? no, it really didn't. But when it hit the brain, I was already on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that's old age. Okay, so that's what they say. And I always think of that when I see these older quarterbacks. I'm like... It's the the reflex is just, you know. Oh, yeah, eyesight, hearing, all that. But, you know, I think what's what Brady has always been the best at is he makes smart decisions, you know. He was never the guy to haul it back and launch it 80 yards down the field every time like Mahomes can do. He was much more of a, I don't know, he reminded me of a Joe Montana, you know, a dink and dunk. He'll just eat you alive six, seven yards at a time. Well, and that's what one of the things about Brady is with the game management because apparently he's one of the worst in the league when it comes to under pressure. So when he's under pressure, he doesn't do well. And so it's the it's the management of not being under pressure that allows him the dinking and the donuts and this and that yeah. that allows him to be this this game manager to where they can execute because I mean they're I, I just I don't get how the Bucks are as good as they are this year. And outside of the coach Brady just seems to be a very common thread with those championships that the Patriots won. Oh, yeah, man, if you're sitting in the <laughs> you're sitting in the locker room and your new teammate has been to nine Super Bowls, won six of them, and we, it's like, and yeah, let, okay, I think we're going to do better this year. Let's not forget he was the one that unseated Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what was that? Okay, he went in for Bledsoe got knocked out, right? Yeah, he, Mo Lewis from the Jets hit him in the chest and I think actually caused some internal bleeding. Um, and, uh, that's what brought Brady in. And I don't think they won that game against the Jets, but then they, you know, that's the, the first year they went to the Super Bowl. Right. But Brady then went on to play some games. Yeah. He never, he, the, that first season, I think the only time he stepped out again was when he got hurt against the Steelers in the title game or the championship game. Bledsoe came in and basically won the game for him. Yes. Yeah, but Bledsoe never again. He went to the Bills. He went to the Cowboys. Right. I mean, he he was kind of knocked out at that yeah, time, and so the end of him. that was it. Was kind of Bledsoe's little bit like, yeah, he won a Super Bowl, but it was Brady kind of that did it too. Kind of like with uh, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. Yeah. That whole argument. Well, Carson Wentz kind of won one, but it was more Nick Foles, and no, it actually that's why you have backups and the coach and the system and everything along those lines. But, but still, yeah, I mean, if you're like if you're the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, you get injured, but then when you're better, you don't get brought in, and your backup takes your guys to the Super Bowl and wins. How good do you feel about getting that? that ring? That's what I mean. It's it's because of that. Like, okay, you were healthy enough to play. But and, yeah. the team was clicking better with the backup, and that's that. That is a hard cloud to to yeah. walk away from. Well, and it's the story everybody likes in football. It's the underdog. It's the backup yeah. nobody heard of that comes in and leads them to victory. I mean, that's what we like. Brady's just been doing it for what fifteen years now, so. right? <laughs> and so, to me, this is what like the NFL's just absolute storybook version mm-hmm. of Brady passing the torch to Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes becoming kind of the new. Uh, good-looking spokesperson. I think he's second generation, too, when it comes to uh, sort of uh, some celebrity status. You know, his, his dad's kind of a celebrity. Is he? I, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't really know Athlete. much about him. Uh, I think to- Pat Mahomes, right? Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, well, last night on the game, what was it? Uh, Romo, you know, Tony Romo's calling it with it, and he was saying, you know, if Patrick retired today, he'd probably be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know? I mean, he's already shown... 
an amazing. I mean, really, I, I'm trying to think of Michael Vick when he came into the league had some of that spark, but you know, obviously never took him to a Super Bowl. Um, I'm trying to think of another quarterback that came in like Mahomes and just. I mean, just on fire. Kaepernick. Kaepernick, the first two Kaepernick. years. Yeah, he, Kaepernick. He, didn't right. he win a Super Bowl? You're, no. Runner-up? Yeah. Well, okay. They, they, they played against the Ravens, remember? Yeah, okay. Brother okay. Brother. Yeah. Well, I know he took him yeah, to the Super right, Bowl. Yeah, right. And he was a lot like Mahomes in the sense that you watch Kaepernick is tall. He's muscular. He can shoot at 80 yards or run at 100 yards. Ka- Kaepernick had the Tim Tebow syndrome, which is... Yeah, they play good in the street yard football, but we don't want that in the NFL because we need consistency. We yeah. need, you know, and at the same time, street ball works sometimes. Well, it's a lot more fun to watch. It's more us, fun man. to watch. But What did you think about watching? Did you even notice how little crowd noise there was? I mean, have you been paying any attention to that? Nah, I not really. got like eight, 9,000 people in the stadium. Yeah, I don't really pay much attention to the crowd noise, to be honest. The, the, with football, has always been made for TV. So it, even when there was a crowd there, if they never showed the crowd or allowed the crowd noise to come up, they can control those levels. Oh yeah, sure. And so um, th- that, and because it's always on in the bar, and it's just football is perfect for this. I don't know. I was watching the, I think it was the Bills game, you know, and they're at home. Chiefs are playing at home. They're winning, and you hear the crowd cheering. But it was kind of like when the the laugh track was missing on a Mash episode or something. And you knew there was supposed to be a laugh. You were expecting it. That's what I kept waiting for. That's my problem with the NBA. The the, the NBA is too quiet. Yeah. You're playing in a total, I mean, empty seat. Right. That's what I'm saying. And and like the WWE, when they were trying to do without fans, it was just too quiet. quiet, And and so now, like WWE, it's a bunch of bad actors. Yeah. (laughs) You guys guys don't even have music like the soap opera. So what are they going to do for the Super Bowl? Do you know? Are they going to? How many people are they going to let in? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I did get my my notice from uh, from uh, the WWE people, mm. and they are having WrestleMania in the same stadium. Okay, really? And they're trying to get twenty five thousand in March. Okay, for the WWE's WrestleMania yeah. Raymond James Stadium, yeah. right? So. Uh, yeah, so they're, about half capacity because I think that's like a fifty or sixty. Yeah, 000. they're they're looking at doing a two night WrestleMania, twenty five thousand awesome. people each night. Yeah. So my guess is that would be similar with the Super Bowl that they're going to try to max out as many twenty thousand dollar tickets as they can. I was going to say it's not like there's a lot of cheap seats that are going to be missing at the Super Bowl. Oh no, this is going to be luxury boxes. It might oh, be luxury, might boxes, be only. luxury boxes only. Yeah, yeah. I mean this. Hey, man, this might be the elite's Roman gladiator, baby. Sweet. Us plebeians and serfs will just watch it <laughs> on our big screens back Dude, in our house. I can't complain. I can watch Super Bowl in my bathroom on my phone nowadays if I want to. Come on. Exactly. With, with flushing toilets. <laughs> By the way, why don't we have bidets here yet? Oh, you know, I do find some bidets during home inspections. You do? Okay. Do. Well, that's, They're fun to test. you got to remember to duck. Well, that's going to take a quick break here, folks, because I think i got to go use the bidet. No, actually, that was a terrible transition. I do want to be clear. I do not have to go drop a deuce. I want to be very clear about that. That's kind of like when, when you joke about like uh, brushing your teeth in a negative way. Like, okay, no, that's not true. I do brush my teeth. I have got decent hygiene. You're human, though. You have needs. And I have blemishes. You have, yes. I, I do. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that, but at the same time, there are certain jokes that you don't want to cross into. Do you got to go poopy? Yeah, I just didn't care for my transition, <laughs> and I, I, I just turned a very, you know, very... Well, I hope it's a smooth transition. It was a fender bender that just turned into a train wreck. 
Let's just call it that, okay? You're still digging. All right, we come back. We got a few guests that we want to uh, preview, by the way. U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, Texas Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock. Oh, boy, who else we got? Kathleen Skama. Oh, boy, Mark Gordon, Wyoming governor. We got all that coming up this week and Great. more here on the Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. He's got to change his ways of thinking. He's got to grab a hold of the one he loves. And I drowned in sorrows in drinking. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard is sponsored in part by if you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them swan energy wants to talk to you today give them a call at 866-539-0860 that's 866-539-0860 swan energy is buying up natural gas leases and they may buy yours too give them a call today the industrial forest it takes an industry to build a forest Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Here it is. What day is it? Tuesday here today. We've got some news coming up next. I did Tuesday and news in the same sentence. Look at me trying to brag out there with my linguistical training and my background because I try to hide my covered O as much as I can be. I'm from Dakota and Minnesota. (laughs) People think I'm from Canada, eh? Yeah, it's a regional thing. Right? All right, so let's get to our news segment. News. Let's see here. What do we got? Straight up. Uh, Elon Musk, no surprise there, making some interesting headlines. Uh, This is from Bloomberg.com. SpaceX plans to drill for natural gas near a Texas launch pad. Elon Musk recently moved to Texas where he launches some of his rockets and is building a battery factory. Now, for good measure, he plans to drill for natural gas in the state. He intends to drill wells close to the company's Boca Chica launch pad. And uh, let's see, it was revealed on Friday before the Railroad Commission of Texas. Interesting. It's unclear exactly what the gas would be used for. SpaceX plans to utilize super-chilled liquid methane, which sounds like a cool new drink, and liquid oxygen as fuel for its Raptor engines. Man, you know, that's one of the cool things about private space industry. You know, we had very majestic names from NASA, Ares, and Apollo and stuff, but when you get down to it, it's the extreme generation naming shit now, so it's called the Raptor. 
The Raptor? That's what the name of the engine is for the SpaceX launcher. Gigafactory. Yeah. That's another one of like his. Gigafactory. So basically, Tesla. you've got Elon Musk moving from Silicon Valley, moving, fleeing California, going to Texas for, I'm sure, various tax purposes, right? Now he's going to be plowing. Yeah, he's not, there's no income tax. Yeah. So he's going to be he's going to be plowing natural gas up. I think he got a uh, tax money, too. I think the state gave him money as well, too relocate or build a plant there see that that seems to be the key really in america is you need to become so indispensable that the government has to give you money or doesn't take your money i'm just i'm blown away at you know in our part of the part of the world up here where farm subsidies flow like oh yeah we're no no stranger to to federal subsidies and um it's just it's really funny when you when you look at a guy who you know has been receiving millions of dollars in subsidies for like 30 years. And then you see what he makes every well, day. And, they, and, and then they run for political office and they act, and then they say they're doing it on their own dime. Yeah. What do you mean you're doing it on your own dime? You just got $80 million in federal subsidies in the last decade and you actually have enough money that you can go run on your own ticket? Is that like this socialism? This Elon Musk thing here is interesting because, you know, in Nevada... Where you're familiar with Nevada, mm-hmm. he's got a plant there, and from my understanding, that battery factory in Nevada is primarily powered like 90% by natural gas. Probably. Is that, that's where the store, it's supposed to be a solar, right? okay, but the solar is just window dressing. It's like 90% of those Tesla batteries in Nevada, I do believe. That's the article we'll I read. Yeah, I, I believe that's the case. So that would make sense in Texas because... Well, you got an abundance of natural gas. Yeah. With the Permian and the Eagleford, the Haynesville. I mean, Haynesville especially. Is that in the Haynesville? Well, they're talking about it. Yeah, it's on it, the east or the west? Let's see. Where is he? Uh, the company's Boca Chica Launchpad. I'm not sure where that is. But apparently Boca it's with Chica. Yeah. Boca Chica. That's what it says, man. So like Boca Raton, <laughs> Florida, where old people go to... Except retire in Texas. and die. Yeah. Except Texas. Boca it says it's Chica. unclear where the gas and what exactly it would be used for. Um, but apparently it's planned for the natural gas wells to be on the existing site. Yeah. So it's a, it's in South Texas. Well, all I know is that the the Atlantic, the headline says SpaceX is taking over the tiny village of Boca Chica. So there you go, man. Brownsville, Texas, yeah. Taking so, over is probably the correct word to say it. And yeah. I, good for him. Yeah. Good well, for him, by the way. He said that he was actually relocating to Texas. He doesn't mention taxes. He's talking about it. He wants to focus on the SpaceX Starship vehicle and the Tesla's new Gigafactory, which is being built near Austin. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, he suggested that he wants to use uh, the various techs to produce synthetic carbon-neutral rocket fuel with natural gas as a possible, but until then, fossil fuels were power SpaceX rockets. Yeah. Well, so what I'm talking about is there were some local officials that approved like 65 million bucks in subsidies mm-hmm. for Elon Musk to move to Texas. That's what I'm talking about is how when the state, like we, we have it here in North Dakota where the, the senator, both senators and the mayor of Fargo, mm-hmm. and I believe the governor, they held up a North Dakota State NDSU Bison jersey with the name Amazon written on the back. Oh, yeah. So they gave the richest guy in the world, Jeff Bezos, a bunch of tax dollars mm-hmm. 
to come build a 90,000 square foot facility that basically employs more robots than humans. You know, I'm curious. I read a couple of weeks ago that they were talking about 500 full-time jobs. Okay, I've right? seen it scaled back 3 times now. Yeah, well, cuz I mean that that that's impressive, but not all that impressive. But not not when you're coming in and competing with yeah. a whole bunch of the marketplace. So, yeah. you know, if if you're if Amazon is your competitor, well, your senators and and governor and and um Well, you think about what happened local in New York. official just just celebrated your competition coming to town. When's the last time they did that for you? Do you remember a couple of years ago in New York when Amazon, I think, was was considering putting a uh, headquarters and there was somewhere in the range, it ended up going south, but it was somewhere in the range of like $1 billion in state subsidies. Oh, it's unreal. Yeah. And and so the, the point is, is that, well, also, do you think they paid for the licensing of that North Dakota State well, jersey, or I'm just that just fast track, right? That's oh, what I'm saying. Yeah, though. That, yeah. that 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 just shows a yeah. little bit of the about yeah. the wink, wink, nod, nod. We don't have to follow a rule like everybody else, especially if we're dealing with the uber wealthy. Well, you know, at that point, you're treating Elon Musk and Bezos as essentially heads of state. They are, you know, almost like sovereign nations onto themselves in terms of their power. Well, you can't roll out the red carpet any greener than that. Exactly. I mean, totally. Yeah. And so what the Musk thing that surprises me is that, um, this, you know, the, the 65 million is, is rather interesting because if local That's officials... Like less than half of what he makes in a day. ...has approved, but 65 million of tax subsidies or forgiveness or whatever the heck is, whatever the correct technical term is, and I apologize to you. No state taxes. To you, uh, no, yeah, I mean. People that are going to hold me accountable if I don't use the right word, but at the end of the day, you get $65 million from the taxpayers. Don't know if it's a rebate or don't know if it's a direct subsidy, but it's there. And then he turns around and says, hey, $100 million for carbon capture technology. So, hey, thanks for all this taxpayer money. I think I'll take a little bit of it and give it back to the people. That's, that's how I look at it. That, that, is, that is seriously how I look generous. at it. Well, the other guys are spending it in political races. Well, it's interesting to see what the shape of philanthropy is taking in the age of billionaires. I mean, where there, I think I read the other day that there was over 50 billionaires just in the last year or so created in this country. Oh, totally. Right? So, you know, I'm all about the the wealth, but yeah, exactly. How are they getting it? Why? Well, why, why is a guy, is a bootstrap why guy, is a guy on. who can turn around and give a hundred million dollars to say carbon capture technology, let's have a contest. Why is that guy receiving any money from the single mother working three jobs while her kids are being distance learned at home? Yeah. Because that's who is the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. That's who the taxpayer is. It's the, it's the guy working the rig four weeks away from his family while his wife's got a second job and the kids. That's what I'm saying. Why, why does the leaders and politicians think Bezos and Musk need more money? I don't get that. I, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. I guess the idea is, is the trickle down, right? I mean, but you got to wonder the people that are making the deals. Trickle down, I call that yacht wax. Uh, right, now. it is. Yacht it's, wax. It's, the people, I mean, they're on a, a social stratification that you and I can only really guess at. So what they're looking at is a benefit that doesn't ever really equate to you and me, but it equates to them. It looks good. It always looks good. You're bringing in business. You're bringing, you're creating blue collar jobs. It always looks good. But yeah, it's a total sham. So... This whole carbon capture technology that have you seen? Have you heard of that? Yeah, in fact, that was our next article. 
Okay, pull it up. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Elon Musk. I figured it might be. Yep, you announced it on Twitter. He's donating a hundred million towards a prize. Um, so what? What is the story behind this? No, he wants best cap uh, carbon capture technology. He noted the details of the prize would be revealed in the week commencing January twenty fifth. So coming up here. I mean, is this something we can send the industrial forest an application? You know, for? when I saw it, my first thought was, isn't that what trees do? Well, trees ca- ca- capture carbon. In fact, anything. you know, I uh, was but, listening to a report the other day too that was saying that that was the uh, that there wasn't enough trees being replanted in the U.S. I got it. Right? I got it right now. No, I got it right now. Okay. You ready? What do you got you ready? Okay. The trees, the most tried and true method of capturing carbon. We know it exists. Mm-hmm. Even Roosevelt said we had to plant a tree yesterday. I'm paraphrasing. Sure. Butchering paraphrasing. Okay, number one, we know the tree works, right? Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Okay. Number two, we can do it tomorrow. We, we, we can do it tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, we can. Number three, all right, Musk, I know where you're going at this game. You want a bunch of new technology. You want people... You want shiny toys. You want shiny toys. Yep. How much carbon are you going to use to create shiny toys when my tree method, plant and tree forest works tomorrow? I guarantee you, you can give me $1 million and I'll go do the industrial forest. 50,000 trees. And I'll do more help to this planet and the environment then your whole $99 million left for the whole carbon capture contest can do. That I makes guarantee more it. sense. Take, screw the $100 million. Take $100 million, give a million to 100 people, two dedicated million. people, $2 million. $2 million. We just, Musk, just another million. Okay, yeah. Well, million. you know, you got operating expenses, right? We got some T-shirts and stuff we need. You do that. I'm tired of pork and beans. <laughs> well, you talk about it. You know, set it, it's, it's everybody plants 50,000 trees over the next five years. I've wined and dined with kings and queens and ate in my back seat with pork and beans, and I want the kings and queens back. So in all seriousness, no. This is kind of a, a real statement to say that the forest is a solution now. So what you're asking people to do is go exhaust a whole bunch of carbon with a bunch of intellectual property that's, that's not going to probably get utilized. Do you know what I mean? Think yeah, of all that no, wasted energy. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, the idea that you can't use something as simple as trees as a cabin carpenter method, you know? Do you think anybody in Travis County, Texas is kind of like, whoa, we just gave you $65 million and you turn around and say, all right, guys, I'm going to have a fun contest on their dime. Hey, he took $40 million out of his own, I presume he has pockets. Or probably he some sort of have he has some pockets. sort of like man purse or something. He's got a pile. He's got people with. He's pockets. got a pile. Yeah, I hire people for pockets. He doesn't have pockets. <laughs> <laughs> you're such. You're so poor. I know, right? I don't understand these things, right? <laughs> so apparently, though, what they're talking about is in uh, they're referencing something in Scotland. There's a project known as Acorn, and it's said to be at the heart of all this. It's set to deliver a carbon capture and storage program for Scotland by 2024, which can be scaled up to support carbon reduction projects across the UK and Europe. So they're looking for, you know, different options, but I'd be really curious too is I know I saw responses to his his tweet almost immediately that were people snarkily saying what we just did. Trees, right? 
So that seems to be a, a pretty straightforward answer. Even if he doesn't take this $100 million, it should be a wake-up call for people with that kind of money to go, you know, this is something simple we can all do. We can get outside, we can social distance, and we can plant trees. What they're doing is they're just creating a new industry of, um, of uh, uh, renewable transitional energy. That's all that's happening right here because the, the tree method works and we are going to pitch Elon Musk the industrial forest and we're going to ask for a million dollars. And if he's serious, he'll give it to us. And if he's not serious and he just wants to grow his portfolio and off the, off the back, backs of taxpayers. And I got no problem with him, by the way. Good for him. No, I mean, way, good for him. Right. Well, see, that's the thing is you can, you can argue where the money comes from. We the can guy, argue The all guys that. in North Dakota use it for their own political office. Absolutely. Musk is turning around and saying, you know, I'm going to give it back to the people in a roundabout sort of way. Yeah. So good for him. Yeah. I'm just trying to say but I'm not... I'm not going to idol worship here. Yeah, and he is looking for the clicker. He wants the special. I, mean, oh, no. I mean, they want the they want the science fiction Star Trek toy stuff. But this, this is, idol is an worship easy totally, sell, man. man. This should be this should be an easy sell with the trees. I mean, really. Well, how do we do it? You've already come up with a really good plan for planting a forest. Let's figure that out. Yeah. So what else we got? All right. Well, you know what? I thought maybe we'd bounce onto something a little bit chill. But okay, so check this out: cocaine hippos. First thought. <laughs> cocaine hippos that's a great band name <laughs> right yeah i think i called that so uh you remember uh, pablo escobar famous drug guy back in the 80s and 90s he lead was, singer uh, of cocaine hippos yes yeah yep front man for cocaine hippos yep. so he apparently had a zoo and in it were full fully grown hippos they called them cocaine hippos unfortunately because he was, they were purchased with cocaine money not because they're addicted or genetically modified to be like cocaine zombie hippos or something. Cool George like Young on the drums, yeah. Scarface on lead guitar. <laughs> so there's George apparently from 80 below. of these bad boys roaming around the country. So these are real, actually, cocaine are, hippos? Well, yeah, they're hippos that are the descendants of those four hippos that escaped the zoo. They're not native. There's nothing around that can compete with a hippo. What are you talking about? Dude. What do you mean, escape the zoo? What do you mean... This isn't like you weren't even listening. Were no, you? I was coming up with. I was trying you to were figure just out. Being witty, you were writing the band. Man. I was trying to figure out Johnny Depp's name <laughs> in Blow. It was George Young, and then was I, it? Yeah, and, exa- and that okay. was my other problem. Okay. I'm going. No one's going to remember who that is, so I have to come up with someone else. What was Scarface's name? And, and, and Al Pacino's in Scarface. Go with Scarface. So it's, okay, you know what? It's always amazing to get inside your head a little bit. Okay, I thought, so check I thought this, out. this was. Uh, I thought this Columbia. Was, I thought it was meth alligators and monkeys. No, no, on no. Meth this isn't that sort of thing. No, so, this isn't the stuff you flush. These are descendants of the crack addict. Should I read the article now? Yes. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> so, in case you needed a refresher, the Colombian National Police killed Pablo Escobar in 1993. When they did so, they seized his 7,000 acre ranch. Nice including his personal zoo. But while they sent most of Escobar's animals to live in other zoos and wildlife preserves, they left his full, fully grown cocaine hippos alone, even though they're not native to the region. They've reproduced, and now there's roughly 80 of them roaming around the country. They become a national mascot and a nuisance. They're the largest invasive animal in the world. So apparently they're putting together a plan to kill all the hippos. Where, where are the hippos? Colombia. So, and that's they're not... Yeah, outside of Africa, they're not 
right? That you don't find them typically. No, not in Colombia. No, outside of a zoo. No, not outside of a zoo. So yeah. they could put them in a zoo. Yep. With that. What would that do? Well, they launched a plan to kill off all the hippos in 2009, but the hippos fought back. We're not killing the hippos. Well, you're damn right they fought back. (laughs) No, there was public outcry. So Uh, the hippos fought back. Yep. So they're they're looking at, uh, they look like there'll be 1,500 hippos in about the next 20 years. So they're trying to figure out what to do with them. Some people obviously want to kill them. Some people want to reopen the conservation, make it into a preserve. Well, what makes the hippo more expendable than the pheasant the pheasant is completely invasive to north america they came from china what would you do with trout trout's invasive to montana okay so here's one plan you can you can celebrate you'll love this species or you can call it a nuisance and hippos should be celebrated my opinion so what they that what what ecologists are suggesting is that they should all the males should be castrated Allowing them to live their lives, but not to reproduce. Nah, just kill them. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> at that point it's like quickly how took that took the jelly out of your like donut there. Just get them married. Do the oh same thing. man. So yeah, I guess uh, maybe we could start like a save the hippo campaign. You know, hippos can be some nasty creatures. So I thought when I saw the headline, I thought honestly it was like hippos that were drinking meth water. You know, the the flushing. Yeah, I was hoping, and or they were dumping you know needles yeah. and meth and all this other stuff. But it's so, clickbait. So what, this is actually like the feral hog problem. Yeah. Down in Texas, where mm-hmm. they have so much feral hogs that you can bait them and blow them up with dynamite right. one of the coolest videos you've ever seen in your life whether you're for no if you're against anna if never mind if you how can you be anti-dynamite anything i'm just saying it's really cool okay. it's just i mean I'm, i've always been pro-dynamite you know me I'm, I'm like the biggest animal lover around yeah but it's like a night vision scope and they have like these these pens and they bring basically these hogs in these feral hogs with corn and and things well, then they close the gates on the pen automatically when these are filled up with pigs or these mm-hmm. feral hogs, and there's dynamite in there. And then they just blow them up. Wow. And it's you know on what? YouTube. Okay, you know what? You and I need to get a food truck. We need to go down there, and we'll start a barbecue place. That's what I'm saying. Road hogs, but man. There, there's all kinds of problems because the hog, from my understanding, is the only animal that can revert back to its feral, wild nature if it's domesticated, then goes wild. Cat is a close second because it can adapt, but it never goes back to the feral part of it. Okay. What about people? Whereas a hog goes all the way back to where it grows the tusks. Okay. Okay. So if you've got a pig and you've had him domesticated for 10 years and then he escapes, within like a year, he actually goes back to the feral hog. I saw Deadwood. You remember the pigs? I do. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. You remember Woo. Woo's pigs? Yeah. Send yeah. Al Swearingen yeah. sends them down to get eaten. Man. I was terrified. Now I feel really justified eating pork. So these hogs, they go in and they take care of gardens. They take care of, uh, you know, they don't mind if, if you live in a suburb. They like it. Mm. Less less for them to do. Rooting around and Easier causing to get problems. Stuff, right? Oh, yeah. just anything. They'll, they'll, I mean, you talk about a goat eating a tin can. A hog will eat your shoe. Oh, a friend of mine who lives in uh, Reno sent me a, a video of her backyard the other day. There was a black bear just wandering around her backyard. They live up in the hills, you know, outside of Reno, Sierra Nevada. And uh, it was a, just a cub, just chilling, just wandering through the yard. Well, back in the days of uh, early Yellowstone, mm-hmm. they used to have uh, um, picnics with the bears. Picnics with the with bears. With the people. Really? Yeah, they would have the park ranger and the bears would come down on these picnic tables and the people would sit and watch and this and that. And then they got, 
you know, worried. And so they made people afraid of the bears and this and that. But they had them pretty tame back in the but they have pictures and newspaper articles back in the day. It's a pretty sobering what an old microfiche in a library can do to your senses. You know, like, okay, that was a headline. That did what now? Yeah, but that's back when you used to be able to order science kits out of comic books that came with plutonium. I know. <laughs> radio, build your own least, radioactive yeah, kit. At least, I remember some of them at least had radioactive material. Yeah. That was that, but that was just the, never the, mind the, the Bunsen burner. That was just right? the vacuum cleaner, the home vacuum cleaner you had to assemble. It came with some radioactive kit. erector oh. sets. Yeah, that's a whole other segment. So yeah, that's unfortunately the cocaine hippos are not cocaine genetically modified killers. They are in fact just hippos that came from cocaine money could you imagine what that would do though to the ecosystem i mean i see a movie man no that that's a legit problem i mean that that's where you got to say either we let the hippos and do what they do Mm -hmm. or we got to get them on zoos because they will change the entire ecosystem that's the big concern is that there's just no way to there's no way for them to not just devastate the local ecosystem they've apparently taken over a a section of a river where they hang out, you know, <laughs> aren't they the most deadly creature on the planet? I know that they can be pretty, pretty vicious. And I know that they can be really fast despite their size. Yeah. Well, I thought they were because of the uh, capsizing and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ungainly as it is, the hippopotamus is the world's deadliest large land mammal mm-hmm. killing an estimated 500 people a year in Africa. They're aggressive creatures and have very sharp teeth. And okay, so that there you go. I yeah, mean, they look ridiculous, but they're also like five thousand pounds of ridiculous. They'll charge. Yeah. And they run fast, yeah. and oh yeah. man, yes, yeah. so, that's interesting. I would, I, I man, I got to do a Google alert on that. That's so a, you know, for me, it's like, it's like hippos are almost like I don't know, kind of a land shark mixed with an alligator. You know, I mean, they they, they have all those traits. Mm -hmm. They're dangerous. They'll eat you. They can be fast when they want to be. But they got respect for the hippo bird, the one that cleans the teeth. See, you know what? Maybe that's what. If you're getting charged by a hippo, you need to present as one of those birds, right? So that they it worked with the rhinoceros because what I learned in grade school is do you know how to stop a rhinoceros from charging you? No. Take away his credit card. And with that, we got to take a break because I look at the clock, folks. It is play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. We'll see you in a few.
The Crude Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was an oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard. Going to our exclusive interview here with Mr. Art Berman of Labyrinth Consulting. Also, well, public speaking back when public speaking was a thing. And then, of course, he's an author as well as an energy and economic expert in many eyes of media across the country. Uh, How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Jason, and I hope you are too. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we had some snow here in Dakota in the last 48, 72 hours. I know you recently did down in Texas. Do, do you guys still have snow, or did that take off right away? Yeah, well, we, we never had snow here in, in Houston, uh, a little bit north of here. But, <clears throat> um, yeah, we're in the 70s. My wife and I uh, picked oranges off our tree in the backyard yesterday. So uh, a, a different a different world for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the energy world. Uh, President Joe Biden comes in, signs executive orders. The two that make the headline right out of the gate for the oil and gas world, of course, are the uh, federal lease uh, suspension and the Paris Accord, the climate change, uh, that that part of it. Uh, just kind of uh, your reaction to the uh, executive orders and those two specifically, I guess. Yeah, in my view, those are, you know, thoroughly irrelevant, both of them. Um, they are, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a political bone that has no consequences one way or another. I know everybody's, well, a lot of people in the oil business are upset, certainly by the, you know, the suspension of federal leasing. But, I mean, the reality, Jason, is that nobody has the money to drill anyway, uh, very few of those federal lands are viewed favorably by oil and gas companies. I've worked in oil and gas companies for more than 40 years. The notable exception, I suppose, is some of the federal lands in the North New Mexico portion of the Permian Basin. But, you know, the, the, the other piece of this is that um, those suspensions don't, I mean, they, they, they don't modify existing leases. They're 
you know, they're, they're forward-looking. And, and so my view is uh, industry will be very lucky to have enough money to draw half of what it considers to be perspective in the next year or so. And history says that um, the only time industry spends money on federal lands in general is when oil's $100 a barrel. Uh, the Paris Peace Accords, again, uh, you know, that, that doesn't, I mean, that's, that's window dressing. I mean, that's, you know, that's a talking point. It, it doesn't have any, you know, any short or even medium turn effects on, on, you know, on, on oil and gas activity. Now, obviously the, you know, the trend towards, uh, you know, less fossil energy is, is something that we all need to pay attention to, but I, I just don't see either of those actions as uh, uh, really having any any near-term relevance. One of the interesting aspects of the federal lease or the federal ban uh, was kind of what you alluded to a little bit about how there's there's going to be still drilling happening, and there was uh, the article I, I saw in some of the follow-up work I did is there was there's been quite a bit of stockpiling and and adding of these leases before it happened where there's something like seven four to seven companies have quite a few and to where they've publicly said we've got four years of drilling I think Devon Devon Energy was one the CEO came out and said they've got four years of drilling on federal land alone and so that kind of made made me look at the executive order a little bit different um, than than what was initially the reaction of it, and so your perspective is well needed too. I don't know if you want to comment on that as far as you know the amount of leases that some of these companies have and, and how there will be drilling on federal land, but it's just a suspension at this point. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I think the the larger issue is that those who who want to you know to get off of oil and gas and uh, coal and, uh, you know, go to 100% renewable energy or whatever, you know, whatever exactly their, you know, their, their fantasy is, uh, just, you know, they, they, they just don't understand the, the fundamental laws of physics. And, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, um, you know, having a long-term goal of reducing emissions, because I, I, I think one way or another, we're going to do it. We're either going to do it voluntarily or uh, the planet and the economy is going to do it for us. But what I don't think people really understand, and that's because they, I mean, I, I use the word ignorant in its literal meaning. I don't use it in a derogatory fashion, but they're just ignorant. And, and the, the unfortunate truth is that if you want to go to, let's just say, an all-electric world, forget about where you get the electricity from, uh, it's going to be a much poorer world. And, and there's, there's no chance of economic growth. And that's simple physics. You just don't get the same multiplier effect on work productivity that you do from oil, natural gas, and coal. And you look back at the, the economic progress, the you know, the progress towards more universal prosperity that the world has seen since the early 1800s. And, and there's one reason, and that is using higher energy density fuels, first coal and uh, then eventually oil and, and natural gas. And so there's a trade-off. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm, not, 
I'm not in any way arguing that climate change should be uh, dismissed. I'm just saying that if you go in, if you go in the direction of of an electric economy, um, you're, you're not going to have economic growth. And if that's okay with you, well, that's okay with me too. But I don't think it's okay with most people. They just don't understand. They've been told a lie, basically by the environmental industry, which is that life just goes on exactly the way that you know it now, except you don't have that nasty oil, gas, and coal. And that's just, that's just defies the laws of physics. It can't be that way. That was one of the reasons I brought up the Paris Accord was more of the uh, ESG, that sort of that environmental movement that has seemed to take on almost a almost like a social governance, if you will, in terms of the before how they used to regulate oil and gas through government. Uh, now there, it seems like they're doing it through social pressures. And that's, I just see how those two are a little bit connected. I don't know if you, you just kind of comment a lot on that, but um, specifically the ESG movement when it comes to investing, how, how do you see those two playing out over this next year or two? ESG is a ballroom dance. I mean, that's what it is. It's um, it's in you know it's in faith in vogue right now. Um, it's something. It's a place you want to be and be seen, and and so all the appropriate people are dressed up in their gown and their black tie outfits because that's where we're supposed to be. I I suspect we're going to have a tremendous backlash against. ESG and um, renewable energy once the public realizes what I told you before, that it's not the way it's being promoted, that it do, it's going to mean a lower standard of living. Um, and, and my guess on the ESG is that as long as it, as long as share prices reward investors, and they and they do right now uh, for buying stock in those companies. Well, they'll continue to do it as they should. Um, but similarly to what happened with tight oil and shale gas, once investors say, "Hey, you know, we're 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 not making the kind of margins and returns we did uh, previously," and that's because the price of oil and the price of natural gas stop rising. They, they look somewhere else. And so at some point, I think that's going to happen with ESG too. But uh, you, can't, you can't fight the market. I mean, uh, people, people do and, and should go where they can make money today. And when that stops working, they'll, they'll find something else. We like to give the example of how industry and people have seen to be just decarbonizing over the last 150 years or so but by their by themselves whether it be through wood hay coal burning whales you know that sort of thing to where essentially we're down to I think it's four hydrocarbons or four molecules with the uh, natural gas which is pretty clean uh, where are you at with natural gas in terms of you know we've had Tony Clark when he was in charge of FERC federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission say that, you know, it's not only the foundation fuel over the next 20 years, but it's also the wild card. Rather interesting statement to make, but um, natural gas, just wh wh where do you see it fitting in? I, 
I think that we have, I, I take, I take climate change very seriously and I take it seriously as a scientist. It has, you know, nothing to do with, uh, you know, my, my, my preferences or my belief structure or anything like that. And, and I mean, we can't, we can't just wait for, uh, the world to get better. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the data tells me. And I know a lot of people, uh, don't want to hear that and they don't want to accept it. And they've got all kinds of, uh, mantras has been taught as to why that's, you know, why what I'm saying is incorrect. And, and that's a whole other discussion that, you know, maybe we can have at, at, at some other time. But let's just leave it at this, that the, the data tells me that climate change is serious and we do have to do something about it. What that something is, you know, that, 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 that's a whole other discussion. But you know, back to your, your uh, reference to Tony Clark, natural gas is clearly part of the solution. I mean, we, we simply have to uh, replace as much coal consumption as we can with natural gas as soon as possible because, as you said before, gas is cleaner. Now, there are many people that I know and respect, scientists like me, who say, well, no, that's not really true, that there's a tremendous amount of methane leakage that occurs in the, you know, just in the natural process of, uh, you know, flowing the gas to the surface and putting it through meters and pipes and all of that. And that is true. That is absolutely true. And that's, that's a solvable problem. Now, how do you solve it? Again, you know, this is a much larger conversation, but that's a, that's a, a much easier problem to fix than, oh, let's just get off of all of our traditional fuel sources and live in a poor world. Again, I, I don't think, I don't think most people like that option if, if they understand it the way I stated it. So gas is clearly a huge part of the solution. And the biggest problem with solar and wind is, you know, it's not its price. I mean, we hear, oh, you know, the price is coming down. It's, you know, it's practically free. You know, wonderful. Great. Problem is solar and wind together account for about three and a half percent of uh, primary energy consumption. And if it's the greatest thing in the world, you're just not going to get from three and a half percent to anything significant enough to change uh, you know, warming temperatures, no matter what happens in the time we need. So natural gas, it solves that problem because we've got plenty of it. It's available today. It solves the intermittency problem that we have with, with solar and wind. I mean, let's use it all. I mean, that's what I say. But let's not, you know, it's, it's not, it's not black and white. It's not either or. Um, we have to balance our need to survive um, with our wish to have a cleaner planet. And, and I think that when, uh, when, when people that don't know energy falls on politicians, uh, we end up making bad choices. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's a solution to that, except, uh, data is a solution. And my solution as a scientist and an energy specialist is, Let's move to natural gas. Let's, let's help and reinforce the companies that are do, are producing it responsibly 
to solve this problem of methane leakage and let's then, you know, move on to the next step. But it's a stepwise process. It's not an on-off switch. That, that's, that's always catastrophic. We need small, we need baby steps to get where we want to go. That's my view. Art Berman is the guest. He's a energy and economic expert, helps companies navigate through some un, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some uncertain times, I guess, by being able to point out some insight and information that allows people to make decisions that they can, of course, tailor to their own needs. Uh, I know on your website, artberman.com, You've got both uh, free and paid content, so uh, give yourself an opportunity here to uh, talk about your website because everybody's having to reinvent how they're making money these days, and a lot of people who used to rely on the speaking industry and, and the books and all that other stuff, they've had to reinvent themselves over the past year, and um, uh, talk about the website, so maybe maybe some people might want to... Uh, give you some business on the website and this and that. I don't know. Are you speaking much these days? I don't know anybody that is. Uh, only on, uh, on Zoom sure. and phone calls like this. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, so artberman.com, there's a ton of free stuff out there. You do have to register to, you know, to actually see it, but it doesn't cost you a dime. You don't have to give me a, a credit card or anything like that. Just, you know, give me a, a login and a password and there's years worth of data I've posted uh, to what I believe to be very substantial posts, one on oil and one on natural gas just in the last week. And then there's, there's paid content. I do uh, a weekly report on the EIA oil storage information that comes out every Wednesday, you know, talk through and tons of graphs, and then what does it all mean? Aim for natural gas on Thursday. And I've got a, a, a newsletter that comes out once a month that you can pay a little bit of money for and uh, a rig count update that shows you actually, you know, how it breaks down for the various plays. So uh, none of it costs all that much, but it just depends on, on your level of need as always. Hey, one more question before we let, 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 uh, let you go and get on with your day and appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight because you know, that's the one thing I do appreciate. Anybody who makes a living on insight, you know, coming on pro platforms like this and offering, you know, nuggets of information, it's always always good. And, and uh, I do want to ask you about something we've been tracking for a while and, you know, the mergers, acquisitions, centralization, that sort of thing happening in industry. No matter what, pick an industry, it doesn't matter. And I mentioned it to U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, who's a frequent guest on the program, and he made a comment that we still cite today because you know it was it, it was pretty pretty poignant comment and and his comment was that if we keep going down the path we're going we're going to have four companies controlling the global oil market in the next you know three to five years or five years five ten years I can't remember the time frame he gave but very near term future and um. I was kind of taken back a little bit because I, I get there's some evidence there, but at the same time, that seemed a little bit more aggressive than even where my mind was at. So uh, just your thoughts on on that, where the direction we're going with some of that and then the U.S. Senator's comments. Right. Well, there, we're, we're clearly in a time of, of consolidation that always happens when 
prices drop, and, and particularly when they drop in a sort of a long-term way. And it's been going on since 2014. We saw it in spades uh, back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, that was the, the time when the super majors um, uh, came into existence and companies like BP bought Amico and Arco and uh, Exxon merged with mobile. So, I mean, that, that that's just the way business works, as I think you, you implied from your, your opening comment there. But as far as Kramer's um, idea that we're going to have four or five companies, I mean, you know, politicians, energy is too complex for them. Uh, it doesn't reduce itself to a talking point. So, you know, the, the simple answer is don't listen to politicians when they uh, tell you what they think is going to happen in, in the oil and gas business. Uh, I guess the more straightforward uh, comment is that, that's just nonsense. <laughs> it's just pure nonsense. I, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, one of your other former senators, uh, John Hoven, uh, wrote an op-ed with John McCain. And, and I, by the way, I mean, I respect all these guys. I'm not, I'm not disparaging their integrity or anything. It's just they don't know that much about energy. And, and Hoven and McCain went on and on about how the States has so much more natural gas than it actually produces, and if only we would build enough pipelines, we'd get to our level of potential. And what they were doing was they were, they were comparing what's called gross withdrawals, which is all the gas you take out of the ground, including carbon dioxide and CO2 and all the things you can't use with what is actually marketed. And so they made a whole op-ed out of something that, for anyone who knows anything about about natural gas, is just silly. Yeah, your 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 gross withdrawals are always greater than your than your marketed production. It's like it's like saying, oh well, you know, my my gross income is so much greater than than my taxable income. There must be missing money out there somewhere. Well, you know, it's just silly. And so uh, that, that's kind of where I see. Kramer's comments. I, I do agree with him that consolidation, as I mentioned before, I mean, it's it's inevitable that oil prices this low. But no, I, I, I see no way, probably within four or five years or even a decade, that we're going to be down to half a dozen oil companies in the world. All we need is four wheels, a full gas tank. Where all the lonesome souls go Who wrote their songs in living And now it's our souls left For the giving We already know how it's done Let's put our lives on hold and run Dodging the clouds and heading Harmony 
Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomena. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota, United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lance Medlin from Meridian Energy Group. They are spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery down in Texas, and soon to be an announcement coming out of Oklahoma. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Don't get too worked up over virtue signaling. It's easy to sit uh, in a room and kind of virtue signal about what's wrong with the world. But in the reality, you have to come up with real solutions. It's easy to sit by and say, okay, well, we're going to power our cars with wind energy and we're going to uh, only use renewable uh, energy sources. And that's fine. Uh, You know, I don't think we know how to yet, but hopefully one day we can do things like this. But it's a long transition period. We don't go from the uh, vehicles that we use to transport ourselves with today to completely renewable fuel source vehicles tomorrow. So there's a long transition period. And even uh, even EVs, electrical vehicles, use a, they have a significant carbon footprint. We haven't found the solution yet. I'm glad that we want to as a, a human race. But there has to be a transition put in place. And some of the transition is what you're seeing now. Also, I think, the, and that's the ESG, the, the idea that we can do what we're doing better. The roadmap to do this, funny enough, we, we saw it come into life when we started putting together our ESG programs and say, okay, well, how can we document some of the work that we've done? How can we explain to others what we've done? And I saw a pattern start to emerge, and it reminded me of the health and safety movements of, I'd say, predominantly about 20 years ago, probably starting you know much before that. But it really kicked off around, I'd say, in the mid-90s, to early 2000. So you saw, you know, HSE 
our HSSE or, you know, every company has a little bit of a different initialism for it. I see the same pattern. I see the same roadmap that we took HSC. I see that now for ESG as well. And that was Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery in Texas, and a third to be added in Oklahoma. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.